My name's Kendra Houseman from Out of the Shadows, and you're about to listen to a series of interviews that took place over nine months. I want to know what life would be like for a child that had been through domestic abuse, parental mental health, poverty, and exploitation, to name a few. What would happen if we created a team, an army almost, to support that child? 28 people were interviewed, all with the same question in mind. What could have been different for child B? You're about to listen to Blondie's People. So follow us on our journey where I will speak to everyone from George the Poet to some of my good friends as we discover what it takes to become one of Blondie's people. Within these episodes, you will find answers, you will find guidance, and most of all, you will find an insight to a world that many do not know. There's a trigger warning for some of these episodes, and some of them are not child-friendly. We're going to talk about things that are very, very raw and real. So kick back and get ready for a journey, a journey you will not forget. Welcome to Blondie's People. Welcome to episode seven of Blondie's People. In this episode, we're going to speak to the almighty Sunny. Sunny is going to talk about the importance of lived experience, but also the importance of social change, because it's all too easy to focus on what's happened. We should be striving to move forward. I believe that if child B had have had somebody like Sunny in her life, things would have been very, very different. But then I guess Sonny would feel exactly the same way when he was in that position. So sit back and listen to some lived experience. Yeah. Okay, I'm Kendra Houseman, and these are the interviews for Blondie's People. And today we have Sonny. So Sonny, who are you and what do you do? Okay, so I would class myself as a, uh, as a leader with lived experience. So... Uh, throughout my life, my personal experiences, which I'm going to share a little bit about in, in a short while, um, kind of really led me to a realisation that, that, that the system and some of the people that work in the systems around us were, weren't necessarily doing what they should be doing. Um, and then I joined an organisation and other people started classing me as a leader. It's not something that I necessarily saw myself. Um, but in essence, I'm just a, a guy that's had certain experiences that wants to make the world a better place. And I yes. think that's what people need. I think that, and you said just before we started recording, that people with lived experience that are going out there and trying to change the world is kind of where it's at. I do sort of agree with that. Okay, so I've looked into your stuff. You've talked about being an addict in the past and overcoming that to become the person you are now. Are you happy to share a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Okay, for me, I'm, I'm going to say this, let's see where this goes. Um, I was involved in stuff when I was younger. I still have nightmares now. I still wake up and I think about how many addicts I created from the stuff that I was doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Tell me that life from your side. Yeah, so I mean, to start off with, I think um, it, it was really for me about curiosity. Hmm. So, um, you know, I was fortunate and unfortunate in my life growing up. I was fortunate that I had a really kind of loving family. Um, I was unfortunate that in so much as the circumstances and, and where we lived meant that there were lots of people struggling with life. Um, but you know, my, my kind of parents really encouraged me to, 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 to do certain things and to take certain steps to make my life better. Um, but Ultimately, what ended, ended up happening was quite the opposite, you know, um, but hopefully I've done things now to, to kind of take the positive, take the positives out of that. Um, but very much it was kind of 
initially kind of my use of drugs was very much out of curiosity and availability. Uh, but then it you know, progressed to becoming habitual. So I was enslaved. Um, and you know, throughout that time in my life, it was a, it was a horrible existence. Um, my life was regressing rather than progressing. And yeah. you know, the, the structures around me weren't necessarily um, helping me to, to move forward in the ways in which I felt that I needed to. Um, and you know, ultimately, I, that led me to a place where I had two choices, um, two very stark choices. Uh, my choices were to either live or to die. Yeah. You know, and it's a horrible choice to make um, for anybody at any time in their life. Uh, but thankfully, um, I, I, cho I chose the former, uh, and then my life, you know, you know, began to improve. Um, but more importantly, I used my experiences to say, well, actually, okay. Um, there's so many other people I know personally, and there must be lots of other people who are going through similar experiences. You know, what can I do um, with my lived experience to try and help and support them, or at the, at the very least, listen to their experiences? When you were going through them experiences, did you think that you'd end up where you are now? Like, could you, could you see? Because I couldn't. As a kid, when I was 15, standing in the crack house, I never thought to myself I'd see myself getting out of it. It just seemed very much now. Could you, could you see a way out? Yeah, I think there were limitations that I had in my own mind in terms of what I could achieve, yeah. um, and which were comp compounded by the messaging that I was getting from society. So although I didn't, I didn't know where I would end up, I, I knew within me that it had to be better than where I was. You know, similarly, you know, I'd spend time not months on end living in crack houses and, and that sort of thing, and it was just um, a hellish experience. And some of the things that I was exposed to, some of the things that I saw, you know, really hurt my spirit and my soul. Yes. But because of the things that I was going through, it, I know at that point there's nothing I could have done other than, um, you know, just try and ride out these experiences. Um, but yeah, but thankfully I managed to kind of you know, move on from that and, and do something to try and um, affect them in a positive way. And that's the thing, I think until you, you can read about it, you can be taught about it, until you've stood in a certain place with certain things going around you, you, you can never understand what it feels like to stand here now and go, actually, to a young person, there is a way out. Because we know that feeling, that feeling of being in that place and, and how that looks. Yeah, and with all due respect, there's people within society that would deliver these messages. So when I was at school, I remember this guy came in or the, and spoke about his you know, um, problems with addiction and drug addiction um, to you know, you know, people from the police coming in and, and talking about the dangers. But, for, you know, those messages didn't really resonate with me um, because I don't think, A, they were personal enough. And then secondly, I, I felt as if, you know, people just read this information or looked at some statistics and, say, and said, you know, you know, you don't want to end up like one of these statistics uh, when they didn't know anything about what was happening in my life. And the blog that I've put out yesterday, so this is good because we're having this conversation now. So the blog I put out, I talk about that I had no one who spoke to me who was authentic. I had no positive role models all i had around me was people that i didn't want to be like i cannot remember until i got older having somebody around me i'm like yeah i want to be like them i was just like nah i don't mm. want to be nothing like these people but i don't know how to get out of that so i think you're right there was nobody authentic people were there yeah. saying what they needed to say but it wasn't authentic for me so i was thinking you don't actually know what it's like to have to go and get that money do you know what i'm saying and that's where you come across differently when you're talking i feel like it's very genuine and if, if you'd spoken to me at 15, I think I'd been like, well, maybe he isn't chatting rubbish. Maybe he does know what he's talking about. Do you see what I'm saying? 
you speak a lot about um, your experience of uh, social equality. You talk about how that affected you. What does that look like? Because I know there's going to be people that say that doesn't even really happen now, which I know is a lie. Okay, I live in a very marginalised area and the children I work with come from uh, marginalised backgrounds. But what did that look like for you? Tell me. Yeah, so, um, I mean, personally, um, mm. the inequalities that I you know, grew up with was basically the communities in which I lived. Um, yeah. So I lived on, you know, quite rough council estates. Fair enough, like my, my dad had a fast food business. Um, so that gave me a little bit of status within, within society. Um, but I would regularly, you know, um, every night as a kid growing up, hear cars getting stolen and torched, like outside where I lived. I'd hear like a massive amount of um, aggression and violence almost yeah. every night. And this was like, you know, day in, day out, mm. you know. Yeah, there was no break from it. Um, and I think, you know, when I reflect upon it, what, what, I, what I noticed in terms of the inequality was the lack of opportunities. You know, so from time to time, you'd have like this program coming or some funding coming in to, that was yeah. aimed at tackling, you know, these issues. But these issues were so deep rooted that no amount of, you know, funding really was going to make, make a difference. Uh, and then professionally, what I noticed is that um, services were often scraping at the surface in terms of what was happening. So, um, you know, a service over here might be, might be working, I don't know, around providing counselling support. Um, and a service over there might be doing something else. But I started noticing these massive silos yeah. you know, uh, that weren't joined up in any way, shape or form. Um, so from the work that I did, uh, and if I briefly explain, so I, I literally detoxed a week before I got married, flew to Bali, um, was offered drugs in Bali, where they've got the death penalty, by the way. Um, I came back and I thought, what do I do? I want to I give back. Now, what people may not understand is that the easiest career choice for me would have been to go and sell drugs because that's the only world that I knew. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was getting offers, you know, you're a good lad, Sonny, you've always been a good lad. Um, you know, although these people treated me like shit at the time, yeah. now, you know, they're like, oh, you're a good now lad. Now they're your best pals. They're like, you can make me money. You're my best pal now. Yeah. Exactly. So I gracefully declined that, 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 um, those opportunities. Uh, and I, you know, joined an organisation that was a fresh organisation set up to... Um, consult and speak to people um, and hear their experiences about how they are experiencing a variety of services from health to criminal justice. So these are all people who were, you know, um, had encountered problems with drugs and drug use. Um, but what, what I noticed very quickly that was that I wasn't seeing like the, the kids from the, the nicer part of the city. I was seeing all of the, all of the guys and girls that I would see on the streets uh, that were now accessing services. So in essence, I, I started noticing that those living in poverty and social deprivation were massively over overrepresented within the services and the people I was speaking to, doubled up with um, a, a rigid uh, system around us that didn't flex to meet individual needs. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then I went on to develop a service that would do the complete opposite, where we would listen to people's um, experiences. Um, and, you know, proactively look at how we could support them in moving forward in any way that they needed at that time. So, you know, we'd have, from time to time, we'd have, you know, really vulnerable women who were sex working, who'd come in, um, and, you know, in other services, they would have been asked to change their complete lives yeah. overnight. 
Whereas when they come to us, because we listen to them, I'd, I'd make sure my team approached it in such a way. Um, they might be hungry or they might need somewhere to live or they might need somewhere to go for safety that night. So sh we would start kind of intervening in, in these ways. Um, but then I also realized that I had to be able to um, speak the strategic language that uh, what people were speaking in these meetings that I went to. Yeah, yeah. So I had to be a bit like savvy about it. So I, I, I got data monitoring systems in place. I captured case studies. And I would analyze like the policies around us and say, well, actually, you've got a blockage here. And this is the reason that you've got a blockage. And obviously, I wasn't the most popular person in the room <laughs> because I was telling them how, how their system wasn't working. Um, but it was never aimed at any, any one individual. It was aimed at the system. You know? So I had to be really resilient to some of the, the pushback that I was getting from, from people uh, because they often saw it as, a, as a, a personal attack on them or their service. But it wasn't about that. It was about what can we do collectively to make your, your service better so that more people can achieve positive outcomes. What was the outcome of that? What, would, what, what was the outcome of having that kind of work going on where you were listening to people? Did you find that service users were more likely to achieve in life? Did they go on to do good stuff? Yeah, man. I mean, the outcomes that we were achieving as an organisation far out outweighed our status. So, you know, not, I don't think anybody would have thought this small group of people with lived experience of addiction would go on and achieve half the things Love that we it. did. But more importantly, it was like, the, 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 the test for me was when you speak, speak to somebody on the street and ask them what they thought about my service. Okay. Yeah. So I would regularly do that or I'd get that feedback. And, you know, thankfully, 99.9% .9 people saying, yo, you guys are great. You guys are fantastic. You've inspired me. And what, again, I realized that from my own experience is that I couldn't change people instantaneously. But importantly, it wasn't my job to do that. No. But if, if you could plant that seed, and that seed might sprout after the next jail sentence, or it might sprout after they go through some more horrific experiences. But the amount of people that would come back and say, do you know what, you guys are right, you know, and it, I've been through this really shit time, but now I'm kind of prepared to make a better life for myself. And we'd welcome them with open arms. It's, it's lovely to hear that because you get a lot of professionals, they will give the advice or they'll put the intervention there. That person will go and do, let's just say they, they take drugs. So the intervention will take place. That person will go and take drugs. And then the professional's like, that's it. You know, you, I give you the advice. Yeah. And I always say this, the people aren't their behavior. You, you need to plant the seed and let it grow. And it will come in time. We can't expect yeah. people just to switch it around. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there's, lots, there's, I think there's lots of reasons why services act in such a way. Um, I mean, part of it is down to how they're funded. It, it, it's also down to individual, like individual personalities, to culture. Yes. But zero tolerance approach to something like addiction is just um, is completely the wrong um, way of approaching it because you know people are complex. Often their lives are complex, yeah. uh, and at the very least, what we can, what we should be doing is showing uh, compassion, empathy, understanding, and then by doing that, then people will ultimately engage much better than they will if it's a carrot and stick and if you don't come then whack that's it you can't yeah. back you know it's just it's ridiculous when i was growing up um a lot of professionals spent time trying to criminalize me they'll say they didn't but they did i was pumped for information that i'd never give up so i don't remember a time of them asking if i was okay really it was more where are you going who are you doing it with who are these people and yeah. i don't remember ever feeling like they were saying are you okay and I was always criminalised for the stuff that I was doing. Do you still see that with the service users you're working with? And do you understand why we won't give up the information freely? 
Yeah, yeah. I think um, it, it comes down to trust. And like on the streets, you have to like, you know, build trust with people. But the, like I said, the system around us, um, often, you know, people would say like, oh, they're going to take my kids away. Yeah. Or, or especially if you're, you're doing like illegal activity, then automatically, um, you know, you're deemed as a criminal. And, that, and that's, the, that's the, the priority that you're given rather than the person um, that you actually are with all of your life experiences and all of the difficulties and positive attributes that you may have. And I definitely found that, um, you know, uh, by having that negative asset kind of approach, then negative outcomes would be associated with it. Whereas if you look at it in a positive way, then surely we're, we're going to achieve better outcomes because you're looking at, you know, the positive things that are happening in a person's life or even taking an interest in their life so that you can yeah. begin having these, you know, life-changing kind of conversations. What you described there is contextual safeguarding. It's that whole approach of looking at someone and, and drawing all them things in. And I think that a lot of people talk about contextual safeguarding, but to practice it is where you'll see the, the big income, the, the output will be different. People will do things differently if you listen to how they feel. So I think the work you're doing there, is it just in your area? Does that reach all over the UK? Um, so um, just in terms of... Putting, putting my situation into context, so I left my organisation last January after yeah. 12 years mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to you know, set up my own consultancy and stuff. Uh, but even when I was working at the charity, what I found was um, because of our approach and how yeah. well we could evidence what we were doing and how cost effective it was and you know, the outcomes that we were achieving, I started you know, uh, getting involved in lots of different national, national programmes, getting yeah. invited to parliamentary groups and that sort of thing. So for me, it was ultimately about, okay, who holds the power to bring about change and if it's not the person that's sat in this room with me then you know how do i get to those um, um places so that we can bring about the changes that we need so um strategically and to be honest with you kendra i mean i, I didn't understand what strategic involvement was when i went yeah. to my organization and i was going to these strategic meetings i was like what the fuck does that mean um you know, and I'll sit in these meetings and people will be chatting all this stuff and I wouldn't really understand not. half of what they were talking about, yeah? But, um, you know, that was a, a chance in my life to either sit there and just be, you know, um, amalgamated within the system or to say, well, actually, wait up a minute, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, you know, when you, you know, said that sentence or you plucked out these figures... Teach you know, where, me, teach where, me what you're saying. That's my yeah, say to everyone. Don't berate me, teach me. I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, absolutely. So I think context yeah. is massively important. So what I would do is I would ask all those questions that were quite challenging to them. Um, you know, and I'd, I'd pull out some of the, you know, key fundamental wrongs that were happening in the world around us. Um, so obviously, you know, the person in that room say, might say, well, actually, we can't do anything about that here, Sonny. Um, so I'd be like, okay, well, who can? Where, where do I go then? That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I started progressing nationally. I started developing the model in other parts of the UK as well. So it was a really kind of dynamic um, you know, wonderful time in my life whereby I was basically sharing professional love with other areas Love it. <laughs> and that comes that approach of you asking them questions comes from sadly or not from the life that we live the life that we live means that we've got no bones about saying to someone well what's that all about then and that's yeah. what people don't understand or don't get it's not that we're rude or we're brash or anything like that mm. we've just had to push ourselves forward to get out of dangerous situations so when it's when something doesn't seem fair to our people, we're like, well, why are you doing that then? And that's why yeah, people yeah. think we're challenging, but we're not. Yeah. We're just trying to get shit done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, some of, the key, some of the key things I learned early on was that, 
you know, it was about how I held myself within such environments. Yep. That, that you know, although you know, in my mind, it might be screaming, "Why, why the fuck are you guys doing that? Or why are you talking about it?" Anyway? I would never let them see that. Oh, that's what I was thinking. You know, and I'd, yeah. I'd be diplomatic. I'd use evidence based and all those sorts of things. And I think that's what then started them um, building a reputation for me as a kind of strategic leader. Yeah, yeah. My ability to do that and. Furthermore, I would actually, you know, coach other people um, how to go about, you know, doing something similar. So, you know, if I managed to break down a, a door to get into whatever whatever place it was, then that was a pathway for other people to go yeah, to, yeah. you know. So it's about sharing that and, and disseminating that amongst the community. I spoke, um, one of my people that I speak to is somebody called Kimberly Lamb. I don't know if you've heard, but Kimberly Lamb, uh, uh, watch her. When, you, when she comes out, you've got to watch her. But she said to me yesterday... Kendra, there's a point when you have to stop throwing hands, when you have to stop and you have to calm down and speak their language to get what you want across. Now, this woman's high up in, in dealing with the police. And she's right, because there's times I want to rage and be like, what are you doing? But you have to just step back and also own yourself. You know, people look at us and, and they, hear, they hear my accent for me. They hear my accent. I've got my kids, whatever. And they've all, all made, they've judged me. A little hood rat who's come from somewhere. I'm doing my masters as we speak, but I don't, I don't know how to promote that because I'm not going to change who I am. So I just have to go out there. And the way you're saying about being presenting ourselves, but still being ourselves, is so powerful. You haven't got to change; you just got to play the game. Exactly, no, it's, and it's about owning, owning who you are, and I love it. Um, and rather than conforming to the system around us and conforming to how you know people in certain environments think. It's about, well, actually, how can I be most effective in that space? If I go into that space and I start berating and, uh, and throwing things around, then obviously I'm doing everyone a dis disservice by acting in that way. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's a skill that I had to learn. But diplomacy for me is a massive, massive, um, you know, if, if it can be done right, it can, you know, help us to change the world in a positive way. I've been watching um, your TED Talk, um, I've watched it a couple of times. The bit that interests me the most is that you say you learnt to live with the bare minimum. Okay, mm. what would you mean? Like, because I've had to live, live with the bare minimum. I know what that means, but if somebody's out, what does that look like? Tell me. Yeah, so for me, living you know, have, uh, with the bare minimum was in, in lots of different ways, whether um, through social interaction, I was only interacting with certain people in certain ways all the time. Uh, there were certain parts of society that I just didn't interact with. Um, um, in a very kind of a simple analogy that I might give is that I remember I went for a, one, a period of one year where it sounds crazy, but I, I was, um, I just wanted it to buy a chocolate bar. And, um, and the reason why that's relevant is that all of the money that I had, I was spending on drugs. All of the money that I was raising, I was spending on drugs. And I went for a whole year without not buying the chocolate bar that I wanted. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, you know, I regressed rather than even being stable where I was throughout my addiction. I regressed in, you know, professionally, spiritually, emotionally. Um, that left me to a place where literally it was like four walls. Uh, and just interacting with a few people yeah. um, like day after day after day after day. And, you know, it really kind of left my spirit broken. So living on, you know, with the bare minimum for me just meant that, you know, I didn't have these positive interactions. Even with, when I went to places that I thought it would be positive, yeah. the local treatment service, you know, I might come out of there being further traumatized or increasingly, you know, more traumatized than when I walked in. Um, so that it was a very you know lonely and, and dark place. 
Um, but one that you know definitely taught me that the importance of positive social interaction. I think it's important. I mean, I don't know how this will get played or where it gets shown, but it'll be shown to young people most definitely. And I think it's important for young people who are living that life right now, or anyone living that life who, who are living with bare minimum, nothing else. You can still survive. You haven't, you know, you haven't got to give up. You can keep going because there is a way out. But yeah, I've I've lived that life, so I know exactly that feeling. And just and just to add to that, really, um, that you know that that concept of bare minimum meant that my aspirations matched the circumstances that I was around. So all my dreams, hopes, desires, passions just were non-existent because yeah. I was just living in this kind of robotic way on a daily basis. Um, I always had within me something that felt that I could achieve something with my life. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was, thankfully I've managed to find ways in which I can activate some of that. Um, so what I say is all of us possess talents, skills, just because we might not conform to the systems or school system or educational system around us doesn't mean that we can't achieve. And I think once you come to the realisation that you're worthwhile, that you're worthy, that, you, you know, you will progress, what if you give your sen your, your, yourself the space to be able to, you know, um, be exposed to different things in terms of what makes you tick, then by kind of making your your, your passions, your professions, um, work yes. by play. And that's what I found, you know, every day for, the, you know, um, after my addiction that I was working, you know, people would say to me that you just, you seem like you love what you do. And I thought, I do love exactly what I do because, you know, I was, I've been searching for it my whole life and I couldn't find it. Oh, that's exactly how I feel. I, I, I work within safeguarding children and every day, I moan, I moan about work all the time. I'm like, for God's sake. But the fact is, is I love my job with a passion and I say all the time, um, my job isn't to safeguard children. I safeguard children. I'm just lucky enough that's my job as well because it's who I am. So that what you're saying there about doing what you love, it changes yeah. your spirit. It changes who you are. Definitely, yeah, yeah. And I think there's a saying that goes something like, uh, if you find a job that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Uh, so, yeah. man. so what I would do within my organisation is that I would have these like, you know, really kind of heart-to-heart -heart conversations with people who've been let down by the system and, you know, find out what it, what, what it is about them that, ex you know, that, that makes them feel excited about something. And then I would actually put things in place so that they could then go about exploring that journey. And, you know, they might, you know, end up being something that they didn't expect. I think, yeah. But that's part of the that's part of the learning process, you know. I mean, I've been so lucky in my career that I met lots of inspirational people. Yeah. Um, and equally, I met people who I thought, well, why the hell are you doing this job? You know, there, there seems to be a distinct lack of compassion for for the position that you hold. Yeah. Uh, but one of the person, one of the, the people that I met was um, Reverend Jesse Jackson. Yes. On a civic leadership program, and he came to, to the UK to commemorate the, uh, the March on March on Washington 50th anniversary. And one of the things he said, and it really stuck with me even to this day, he said, learning and literacy, learning and literacy are the key to liberation. <laughs> learning and literacy are the key to liberation. He was talking about the civil rights movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly the same for all these communities who are marginalized, mm -hmm. who feel that they can't achieve, who haven't achieved things through the, 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 um, the systems that are in place, like the educational system. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's never too late to kind of um, you know, find out who you are and what makes you tick. And everyone should be encouraging everyone else to, to go through that you know, a journey of learning. You have to raise each other up because otherwise somebody else might not do it, is my theory. If I see someone and I can help them up or help them be with me, I, I would. I would never just go, oh, I can't bother. It just isn't yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something else you talk about that I find really interesting. 
Mm. I've got it written down, so I don't get it wrong. Social impact acceleration. Now, I, I read that to do with you. I can't see anyone else talking about that. So what, what we're talking here, because like, I'm interested. Okay. Um, so social impact in itself is quite a broad term. You know, social impact is becoming increasingly talked about in terms of, you know, how corporations are helping the environment or how certain financial institutions are now, you know, giving grants to communities and that sort of thing. So for me, um, social impact acceleration means, you know, working with a cross-sector, um, cross-section of society uh, to find out how we can help them to do more. So that could be, you know, with governments, local governments, national governments, organizations, companies, to find out kind of, you know, where they're at at the moment, you know, where, where, where do they see their value in terms of social impact and what could be done more to create increased social impact. Um, what I'm hoping to do is to create a network of similarly, similarly aligned systems so that, you know, from the entire financial in, um, institution, for example, uh, we can have a, a range of different uh, companies that are each specialising in one particular area of social impact, when combined, creates a much greater overall social impact. Yeah. So social impact, for me, it's not necessarily something that I thought about when I was working day-to-day in my charity. Um, but when I started speaking to people outside of my, my circles, as it were, they were like, wow, you know, what you're doing is creating a real, a real massive impact in terms of yeah, yeah. employment, in terms of housing, in terms of criminal justice system, in terms of um, health outcomes. Um, in terms of you know getting people from point A to point B, and I just thought automatically that everyone would see it in the same way. Um, so now, what I'm in essence, what I'm looking to do is to to kind of to to kind of amalgamate all of that learning and share it with other sectors, so that they can then you know make much greater impact than what they potentially are doing now. And how do you plan to do that? How are you going to share it, or have you not got that far yet? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so so I'm. Having like conversations with people at the moment, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm drawing up plans in terms of what I could present. Um, I'll be putting in a funding application soon as well to kind of really kind of, kind of get it off the ground. Um, but the way that I see it is that you know once um, uh, you know I've spoken to the right people and you know potentially pitched it to the right people, this could be something that could transform society. Oh, change lives, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it, uh, and it comes from a place of love and compassion. So as long as I stick to that, um, and, and I, you know, do it for the right reasons, uh, to to see, you know, the the world flourish and to see communities flourish, and then it will happen, no doubt. So it's something that really excites me. Um, yeah, and I'm looking forward to, to kind of be, being part of the process and and working with other people to, to to kind of bring it to to life as well. Even having conversations like this, like because we're in lockdown and we're doing things via Zoom, people being able to go on, play this, play it back, listen to what you're saying is having that impact, isn't it? Because people are able to pick up what you're saying and go, yeah, I'm going to run with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes we forget the, you know, uh, as as human beings, we have impact all the time. It's not always positive impact, sometimes negative impact. Uh, but I think if we can get kind of the culture within organisations and companies to really un- understand and embrace social impact and integrate it within the work that they do. So even if, you know, a company is there to make money, I'm not saying don't make money. I'm saying make money, but think about, you know, how you go about doing that. So, you know, I think the whole situation with lockdown and, and COVID-19 has really demonstrated that there's lots of organisations and companies that are willing to do the right thing. Yeah. 
you know, for society. So, you know, for me, it's, well, how do we then build on that so that it's sustainable? Yeah, it shouldn't take a, a, you know, a pandemic for uh, a company to, to <laughs> not think the about, world. Yeah, to, to not think about their, their, their profit margins for one second and do something to, to help um, with the, you know, the whole emergency response. So, yeah, it's, it's something that, yeah, I'm looking, really looking forward to kind of developing and working alongside other like-minded people to kind of bring it to life. And I think it will. For those watching who maybe don't really know what they can do, what can professionals do to help those in marginalised communities? I'm not talking about little things, not, not a big scale. What can they do? Listen? Talk? What, what would you say? I know what I would answer, but I'm just wondering for you, what would have helped if somebody had even just acknowledged that what you was going through? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, first and foremost, I think it'd be not to presume that you, um, that you know what people need. I, I, think, <laughs> I think it's easy just to kind of, you know, do, you know, either through, I don't know, uh, um, training or through an educational course that you've done, think, well, actually, I know what the community <laughs> problems are now and I'm going to go out there and do something about it. I mean, fantastic if you're going to do that, but please don't assume that you, you understand the intricacies of what's involved uh, and what people actually need. Um, I think the other thing is to, have, to kind of really embed a person-centred, holistic approach to supporting people. And often this might sit outside of your job description, yes. it might sit outside of the, the funding requirements, but to do the right thing um, for the right reason in the right way based on what that individual needs right need there and then, I think is something that would, you know, the more people that can do that, the more impact it would have. Um, I think one of the areas that's been drawing quite a lot of attention is around trauma-informed yeah. approaches. So just kind of, you know, skilling or skilling up a workforce so that they're more trauma-informed. So they, you know, adopt trauma-informed practices. I think motivational interviewing is fantastic as well. So I think, you know, the more people we can have trained in, in, in these disciplines, I think more help. Uh, I think more, you know, you know, if you look into the background of society, I think it, for me, it's really important to, to research history and to look at the injustices that have existed in the world not long before we came along, um, some of the poor policy decisions yeah. and some of the horrific discrimination that's been targeted towards certain sections of society. I think by having this knowledge, I think it hopefully will kind of demonstrate that some of the challenges that, that are facing, uh, that communities are facing, that are, have been going on for a, a long, long time. I mean, if you look at slavery, for example, it's not a million year, you know, year, years ago slavery was taking place. It's not all that long ago that women didn't have a right to vote. So I, I don't think we're anywhere near the type of society that's equitable for all. So by understanding this and looking into it and doing your own research, then when you're going into you know, whatever work it is you're doing, particularly if it's supporting people, then you're armed with all of that knowledge that will then help you to contextualize the work that you do with the people that you're working with. So yeah, that, that, that would be my kind of key, key points to... And they're brilliant points. It comes back to that old thing my mum used to always say to me and I used to roll my eyes. She used to say, knowledge is power. And I'd be like, shut up, mum. And she was bang on because the more knowledge I have about people, people that I don't know about, when I go out into the world, I've, I've upped skills myself. I'm going in with all these different toolkits. Everything you just said there is exactly why, as a child, if I'd been around somebody like you, as you are now, my life would have been very, very different. And that's why, exactly why you've been chosen. Okay, I ask one question to everyone. Let's see what you answer. I end with this question. What have you learned about yourself in lockdown, if anything? Okay, um, so what have I learned about myself? 
Um, Everyone goes like that. They go. Uh. Um, I think I've learned that I'm I'm a really good cook. Yes. Yeah, so I'm cooking all sorts. Did you not know that before? Well, I've, I've never done it to the extent that I've done it in lockdown. You know, um, so I think that I've um, I've learned that. I've learned that I'm a, a quite a patient parent because I've got three kids at home. Yeah. Who try to you know tend to their needs as well. Um, yeah, and that, that that you know I've realised that we've got much more in common than that which differentiates us as human beings. And you know to be sat here not able to go out you know it gives me some level of uh, comfort that everyone else is going through the same thing and, and i think yeah. yeah 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 so i think that it's kind of yeah it's demonstrated that that we're you know on resilience um but that also you know thoughtful to how we can you know help build the type of world that we deserve once we get finally get out of out of this situation so it's just great to do things like this and i've been doing you know recording podcasts and writing and researching and educational courses so I've kept myself really uh, busy in that sense um, so yeah they're, they're my kind of key learning um, in, in terms of myself uh, and more broadly speaking I think you know it's taught me that the people that we expect to have the solutions don't always have the solutions That's what I'm, I'm, yeah I'm not knocking the government or any of their advisors mm -hmm. or the scientific people behind them but you know there's been you know some really mixed messaging that's come out so I think you know we have to be mindful that you know, just because certain people are in certain positions doesn't give them, uh, you know, all, all of the answers that we're looking for. So we have to be patient with, with, with people around us as well. And I think it's about being kind on yourself, especially as a parent. Nobody knows how to get through this. We're all winging it. Nobody knows what we're doing. So, you know, especially being a parent is my biggest hang up. Am I doing the right thing? But hearing you talk makes me feel better because I know that you're winging it as well. Yeah, we're all winging it. To be fair. <laughs> uh, so let's just enjoy that process. I love that. Thank you for being interviewed and I hope that you enjoyed it. That has been great. Thanks, Kendra. Thank you.